electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations. Futures are green as the cyclical growth trade gets another leg this morning. New York City begins its reopening today, 100 days after its very first confirmed case. We'll get a Fed meeting this week. Oil is steady as OPEC Plus extends those production cuts through July. And the 10-year 90 basis points, Jim, as they were just saying on Squawk, it's not just about stocks. It's about the curve steepening. Uh, it's about Druckenmiller talking about uh, breadth broadening and a lot more. Yeah, this is one of those uh, rallies that not only has taken people by surprise, but continues to roll. And we're seeing major gap ups. I was mentioning on Squawk, we're seeing major gap ups in the morning. Highly unusual. More of the uh, 1980s action. And, and I, it's very interesting because uh, Stan Druckenmiller talked about Marty's why. And his views of the 1980s, and they're pertinent as ever. We've got some incredible breadth. Uh, we have a Fed that is completely on the side of the bulls. We have a president who wants new highs. Uh, we have stocks that are recovering well ahead of the fundamentals, but some people could say that's what should happen. Uh, look at the airlines. We had some numbers from Phil LeBeau uh, off a very low basis talking about flying. And it's almost as if people decided COVID's over. Uh, it's a V-shaped rally. And you better get on board. And that that makes you a little uncomfortable. Well, I just think that the Friday rally is uh, as sweet as it was off the employment number uh, has not put out any sellers, Carl. And I, I, I often think that there have to be sellers at a certain level. I mean, can you really take the banks up so much when there was so much selling of of, uh, of city uh, 20 points ago? And now no selling. I mean, where are the sellers, Carl? And I don't see them. They're not attracted by American Express on a downgrade this morning. They're not attracted to Bank of America, even though we haven't seen numbers lately. Uh, They're not attracted to Wells Fargo, even though at 22, they were very well attracted. Uh, It's as if whatever happened has vanished. Uh, kind of like we set the world back to February. And, and David, I think you know when you look at, say, a Simon Properties, because you are doing you look at deals all the time. I mean, Simon Properties is yeah. up 40 points. Uh, why? Right. Because the people were wrong who sold it in the 50s? I mean, it just seems like either people were very wrong selling, including Warren Buffett with the airlines, or it's fanciful. And we're just dealing with a market pumped by the Fed uh, and a market where people just say, I have no choice. I've got to come in. I missed the early part. Stan Druckenmiller didn't like the market. He was wrong. Uh, We've had other people, obviously, who were wrong and maybe they changed directions. Ray Dalio wrong. The wrong smart hedge fund trade has decimated people. No, it has. And Jim, listen, I, you know, what you just said is what you hear, I'm sure, and I hear over and over again, which is people who are perhaps less positive throwing their hands up and simply saying, well, maybe it's just all about the Fed. Yeah. Maybe it is as simple as that, that we have, you know, we have ZERP, 
there you just can't fight it. Nope. And until the, that condition changes, I can't expect perhaps that much of a different market response. That said, to your point, when we look at the moves, for example, assignment properties, which one has to imagine has a troubled business for many months and years to come, not saying it's uh, you know, uh, completely hobbled, but it's certainly not going to be what it was. Right. Uh, and or so many others. I, I, I guess, Jim, I come back and say, OK, as I'm sure you have these conversations with asset managers, when what's going to make the difference? When are things going to return to some sort of sense of, well, this is really what the business is looking like as opposed to this V shape? I think it has to be earnings. We're in a period where there is a dearth of information. And that dearth of information is is being viewed positively, I believe, because the Fed has allowed anybody, uh, with the exception of Hertz, to raise money. And judging by the common stock of Hertz, people even think that that common stock could be worth something in some sort of reorg. Yeah. You know that's too bullish, David. Most likely. I mean, recovery value in bankruptcies is rare, but it does happen. It does happen. Uh, I mean, I heard the same Diamond Offshore, right? That was another one. And people talking now about oil and that huge rebound that's taken place there, guys. And will there be a recovery value in that equity? So you're starting to hear that. But to your point, Jim, it, it's unlikely typically, but perhaps reflective of this current period that we would see significant moves up in the equity of two bankrupt companies. Yeah, but I mean, Carl, one of the things that, that if, if you replay the tape and you listen to the strategists, most of the strategists were trying to figure out whether you're going to have an L-shaped recovery or whether it's going to be a swoosh. The V-shaped re- uh, recovery was limited to one person. Uh, it was President Trump. And I think a lot of people just said it's election year, uh, so he goes with a V. Uh, a U seemed to be very positive for many of the strategists. Well, I mean, now it doesn't even look like a V. It just looked like a check mark. And, and I think that a lot of us who've been living with with masks, uh, been living with gloves, are saying, "Well, wait a second, social distancing. What is that about? Why do we need these?" And the answer is, is that because maybe this is why. Maybe this is why things are okay. Maybe this is why people are flying again, because they feel a little bit safer with a mask. But uh, and we didn't see the big explosion uh, of covid cases. But there are many more covid cases uh, at West. Uh, It's just New York, which is the epicenter, which feels um, much safer. And the safety trade is really at work here. People feel safe. To buy stocks. Yeah. Do they feel safe to shop? Yeah. I've got two big Amazon reports on my desk which says no. They feel sh- safe to shop by their PC and by their cell phone, which is so easy. My wife was ordering, what is this? Lu-wa-la, la I mean, she's like, boom, 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 boom. I said, what did you order? I said, well, I ordered this morning stuff. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it's order, order away. Wow. Uh, you're referring to R- RBC. On Amazon today goes to 3,300. That's a street high. And to Jim's point, uh, a large part of their thesis, Jim, I mean, they see 200 million prime subs. Right. That would be up 50 million subs since January. 
But that doesn't mean people don't feel safe. It just means they might have discovered a new, more convenient way to shop. Right. But I mean, Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, eBay, Shopify. Uh, that's how people are shopping. And yet Simon Properties, the big uh, mall company, is saying the stock is saying it's like nothing happened. And then you see the stocks of Kohl's off of 12 to 24 and someone downgrades Gap from 15 to 13. I want to know who's going to the mall. I want to know because these reports are basically a poker game. You know, I see you at three at three thousand and I raise you. To 3,200. And that game's been going on, and there's just not that much shopping. And we also have the possibility that people aren't staying home as much. Some people are opening up. If they open up, then maybe there's stores. Now, when you go to stores in Manhattan, they're boarded up, uh, which is uh, rather. It, 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 it's. It is yeah. so counterintuitive to have both the mall and Amazon doing this well. We just don't have that many shoppers. Look at those numbers, will you? Yeah. Where are the sellers, uh, David? You know, Where are they? Uh, I, I don't know. Hiding. They're hiding. They're, they're hiding. waiting for, uh, for something. And maybe to your point, Jim, they're waiting for earnings when it becomes more apparent or people can, uh, investors can start to sort of take stock, so to speak, of exactly where things stand and what the earnings power of some of these businesses are. That said, Jim, when we talk about the biggest members of the S&P, which is funny now because now I, you say, well, the S&P is flat for the year. And the rejoinder is, yeah, but that's because it's made up of, of, of right. these huge companies that have an un, you know, a huge weighting in it. And I'm like, yeah, it's a market cap weighted index, a lot better than the price weighted index of the Dow. What's your point? But Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet, Apple. and of course, Apple. Uh, and Apple's business continues to be quite strong. I know there is concern, as there should be, about China and a response to what we've been doing to Huawei. But... Otherwise, those businesses I just mentioned, they're all incredibly strong and they do add up to what, five trillion in market value. Right. And that's where the March they're from the March bottom. And Apple, so many people deserted Apple in the 200s. Once again, they tried to trade Apple. They didn't invest in it. What's the Apple thesis? It's uh, Katie Uberies. It's, it's, it's the spike in service revenue. Why? Again, people had nothing to do. So they signed up and Apple's got more of a t- uh, uh, of a entertainment uh, feel to it. Microsoft, what happened? Well, Microsoft Teams did well. Microsoft had new, uh, there's been new PCs. Uh, uh, Amazon obviously is, is uh, such a juggernaut that you just, it, it's become a fact of life. Uh, these stocks are amazing. I don't know why Alphabet's running because Alphabet hasn't done anything uh, to, of substance other than the fact that their, their cloud business is better. But the, there's been yeah, acceleration. And they're, and they're executive cutting, they're cutting costs. Say, you know yeah. what? This pandemic has moved digitization 10 years in three months. 10 years. And the digitization continues and continues. And you see the cloud stocks trading at levels that I've never seen them before. Look at Facebook since it announced in Facebook shops. It's a 10% move since Facebook shops. Why? Because people are shopping online, because small businesses had to go online because their brick and mortar are closed, uh, and, and they never go back. We can open these stores, and the method they're going to be selling things is on the web. What a revolution. To be sure, it is. It is a revolution, and it, that's one big reason why it took guys like Stan Druckenmiller uh, so much by surprise. If you missed it earlier this morning, he talked to Squawk about how he's been humbled, how he was way too cautious, uh, and how he underestimated the commitment of the Fed. Take a listen. 
what is clearly happening is the excitement of pre-opening is, is allowing a lot of these companies that have been casualties of COVID um, to come back and come back in force at, with a combination of hopes with the Fed money uh, and in particular a vaccine where the news has been very, very good since that economics club. And I think probably more important than the market here is, is that breath expansion and the fact that the rotation out of the COVID winners into the COVID leaders gives you a big, big breath expansion. Wow. Such to David's point a moment ago. By the way, Jim, he also referenced the AD line two to one for 10 straight days, which in his view is an undefeated indicator. Yes, in the S&P oscillator that I follow, same thing. The only other time it had this this run was the uh, run off the bottom in 2009. When you listen to Stan, here's what you have to remember. Stan's real good. But Stan is always, uh, when he's got it wrong, will tell you. But it's not his job to come on air and uh, say, listen, I, I got it wrong three weeks ago. And people are still in there saying, hey, listen, Stan Druckenberg's negative. He's negative. He's negative. Well, he wasn't negative. He was humbled. And what happened is Carnival Cruise, the airlines, the, ship, the stocks that are most affected by COVID, those are doubling. Those are tripling. And should they be? Well, the Fed gave them uh, the backstop to do all sorts of deals. Treasury gave tons of money to the airlines. But I think that those runs are absurd. <laughs> Jim, we're going to get a lot more into that after a break. We're going to talk more about the Fed and what they say uh, as the markets and spreads have recovered a bit. We'll talk about uh, more about Stan Druckenmiller. Boeing up 40% last week, poised to open up another 8% today. Back in a minute. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back, guys. It's been a long time since we've had a big M&A deal to talk about, even one that we could bat down in terms of it not being true, at least in the current uh, current uh, moment. Um, over the weekend, Bloomberg reporting that AstraZeneca, the large UK-based pharmaceutical company, had approached Gilead, another very large company that, of course, has been in the news so often as a result of it having the only treatment right now, remdesivir, for uh, COVID-19, uh, that they had approached them about a potential uh, transaction. Uh, what I can tell you this morning is that uh, there's nothing going on now. Uh, that there may have been a CEO to CEO approach. It's not clear exactly how far, if at all, that got. Um, I have spoken to numerous um, uh, people who have advised these companies in the past. There does not appear to be anything going on right now. And in fact, I think Meg Terrell as well, sort of reporting similarly that AstraZeneca's not does not have anything going on. By the way, you need look no further than the UK takeover panel, which would require AstraZeneca to say something. Were there something actually occurring here, remember, as a UK company? So uh, I think it's safe to say that there is not 
anything going on currently between these two companies, even though there may have been a conversation. By the way, both CEOs having worked together a number of years ago at Roche, they know each other well. Is it possible, certainly, uh, that uh, Pascal Suryat, the CEO of, of AstraZeneca, had brought up the idea? No overlaps here uh, in terms of their product portfolios. But there is the overriding theme in pharma, which is if you are looking to sustain your business, you still need to spend a lot on R&D. A bigger revenue line allows you to spend more on the R&D line, Jim. Um, Doesn't mean that these kinds of things aren't going away as an idea. It does appear, Mr. Soria, who perhaps is trying to figure something out for AstraZeneca, which has figured over the last few years prominently in a lot of different, at least, rumors. Uh, but again, I think I can tell you safely here, there's nothing going on between these two companies at present. Well, because Gilead obviously uh, has developed Rendesivir, and that's going to be part of a cocktail, I believe, the monoclonal antibody. But more importantly, AstraZeneca has teamed up with the University of Oxford, uh, Oxford, okay? And they're talking about two billion doses of a vaccine uh, to be ready at end of the year. Why the heck would they need Gilead? AstraZeneca is on the way up. Gilead is very questionable. It's questionable because uh, they're not out to try to make a lot of money on this thing. I think AstraZeneca should be up. Uh, they've done a terrific job. Look at the turn there. It, it's rather remarkable. Will the Oxford uh, uh, deal work? I don't know. I mean, I recently said don't bet against science. Uh, and I thought it was interesting because I was ridiculed in the New York Times magazine for saying don't bet against uh, science. Comparing me to Otter, uh, David, you'll know this because it's Faber University, uh, Otter and Animal House uh, basically saying don't bet against America. <laughs> well, I mean, science has call me Otter. I mean, I always thought that Otter was the most upstanding yeah. character in Animal House. Uh, but well, he uh, was. And it was it was Faber College, was by Faber the way. College. It wasn't a university. Uh, it, it had was, aspirations to be a university. There was no graduate was school. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was Pine graduate school. No. But anyway, what matters is, is that betting against science is, is certainly not had not made you any money in the stock market. Uh, but there is a notion, and I think, Carl, we talked about the COVID index that I've come up with, that though most of those stocks are now in the past. And what we want to do is be on rocket fuel. We want to be on slumberjay. We want to be on uh, Halliburton, what a, Apache. Apache's tripled since the quarter began. And we don't want to be uh, in the humdrum. And General Mills was touring for a couple of Campbell's suit. I mean, they, they, had a, they had a blowout quarter and the stock went down. I think that said everything. The only question now is, yeah. will the cloud stocks, which are now selling at 14, 15 times sales, continue their move, given the fact that they are regarded as digitization stocks, not just work-at-home stocks? Yep, that's a really key distinction, Jim. And to yep. your point on crude, uh, that journal story this morning on the shale companies turning on the wells. We'll talk about the OPEC Plus meeting in a minute and, uh, by extension, some of the reported job cuts at BP, uh, 15% of their workforce. We're back in a minute. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Time for a mad dash as we get ready for an opening bell on this Monday morning. About eight minutes from now, we'll get started on the broader markets with the open, of course, looking up again. Lulu Limon is yeah, your feature. Jim. Yes, David. Uh, there uh, is a belief that apparel hasn't come back. Uh, sure, Kohl's stock has come back. Macy's making quite a move since it was able to raise some, some money, although we don't have big uh, business, obviously, in, uh, in Herald Square. But people have decided that Lululemon has transcended the apparel bear market. Uh, this morning, Kelsey raises uh, numbers. Previous pr- price target, 230. Obviously, that's way too low. Goes to 360. Uh, Deutsche Bank says COVID-19 hasn't tempered expectations or valuation. Uh, and this is another piece basically saying, all right, I can't take it anymore. You got to buy Lululemon. Now, is that the right thing to do? I think that what's happened in this market is that's the most dangerous question you can ask. Is that wrong? Tomorrow, by the way, Ron Barron's going to be on uh, Squawk Box. Now, do you think Ron Barron's going to temper his enthusiasm for Tesla? I mean, I think Tesla goes up all day, given the fact that Ron Barron's on tomorrow. So we're in that kind of market. It's kind of a 1980s. Well, you know what? Someone's coming on Wall Street week and they're going to recommend Lululemon and you got to buy it ahead. Um, so we have uh, we have the enthusiasm that I've not seen about stocks. It's almost as every person, new person at Robinhood has decided, you know what? Mm-hmm. I got to play. And Robin is more than 10 million people, and they are in there buying and buying and buying. And uh, they haven't learned to sell. The sell, I think, has eluded them. Not a, yeah. It's not in their, not in their the case. Well, no, and certainly not in the vocabulary of those who own Tesla, as you just pointed, uh, talked about it. Now looking 915, 916 bid ask. David, $1,000 How about $1,000 by the time Ron Barron's done? What do you think? Remember, we used to do that kind of stuff. He's going to be wearing one of those nice nice sweaters he likes. I'm looking Uh, forward to that. He's going to have like Uh, $1,000. But you know what else I'm looking forward to is is an opening bell, which we're going to get six minutes from now. Stay with us. Live shot at Times Square, uh, New York City, the nation's biggest COVID lockdown essentially begins ending today. As phase one goes into effect, that's construction, manufacturing, curbside retail, uh, subways back to 95 percent, Jim. They're saying 400,000 workers uh, could return to work today. Well, you know, this is very exciting. Uh, I think that there is happening a little ahead of when people thought uh, the beginning of a return is going to be very bullish. Uh, again, I'm watching Macy's to see what happens there. Uh, trying to, and we're all trying to figure out, well, what does it really mean? I mean, can you open the back of a restaurant? Uh, where where's the space? Uh, the city has always been a little bit opaque, but I think everyone's going to try to anybody who has a little bit of spare space is going to go for it. Uh, maybe we're back. Wouldn't that be something? I, well, 
It would be something. But, I mean, Hudson Valley, uh, David, closer to uh, you know uh, the north of the city, uh, goes into phase three tomorrow. That's wow. indoor dining. So now we're getting into some really interesting yeah. case studies. We are. Uh, and, and the willingness of people to participate in indoor dining, which at least according to the experts, of course, being indoors raises the risk uh, much more so than being outdoors. But, you know, Jim, I wonder when we I mean, we want to get back as quickly as possible to normalcy. We all do. Uh, much of the country already is sort of way ahead of where the New York right. area is. But when you talk about those people who work in office buildings in the service sectors that drive the economy of New York City and much of this country, and you talk about elevators where you're going to limit people to four, and you talk about transportation, which in New York and other urban areas, but even more so even in New York than anywhere else perhaps in this country or world, are people are relying on the subways. Uh, you talk about the public schools in the fall and how they're going to open and how they need to. There are still a lot of question marks as to how fully open you can get. Not to mention, of course, when Broadway will reopen or when you could ever expect to go see a team play in an arena or a stadium or a tourist show up to be in New York. Right. I I think it's the crowd issue. Uh, Can we have crowds? Now, when uh, the casino had crowds, but they have spent a fortune making that place uh, COVID, uh, as anti-COVID as possible. They brought in Johns Hopkins. They really took a hard look at it. I think a lot of restaurants are going to try to get, get out of the social distancing thing because that's the death knell for them. Uh, but we also want to know who's enforcing it. What happens if you don't change it? What happens if you just let people come in? I, what I think would enforce it is if someone got COVID at your place. Speaking of which, Jim, there's the opening bell uh, and a look at the uh, Nasdaq. Two weeks tomorrow, it's been uh, two weeks since the New York Stock Exchange partially opened its floor. I'd be curious, Jim, to get some updates on new cases at the exchange. We have heard very little. Yeah, very, very little. It, it is the, the cases that we're hearing about are, are really um, not around here. Uh, but I, I think also there's a belief that I mean, I think untrue that there was something going on in New York that was not happening anywhere else. And maybe it was our leaders. Uh, I I think that it was a novel virus. We didn't really know what to do. I think that we haven't talked nearly enough about how they figured out how to treat people. They recognize it wasn't a a lung disease, that it was a circulatory disease. They recognize that you don't put people on ventilators. There are other methods to do it. And I think that what's really uh, 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 gone wrong in terms of uh, viewing New York is that it, it was the test ground for everybody else. And why don't they talk about it? Why don't people talk about how we didn't know what we were doing? And there's been tremendous progress being made, but no one wants to talk about it. It's almost as if, no, there's been no progress. But we, I think we learned how to treat people, uh, particularly because we found that it was circulatory. And once we did that, I think that there were major strides made. Yeah, I, I agree with you, David. I don't know what you think. The Journal's got a fascinating piece today about how, it, according to the Journal's study, uh, the virus spread not so much based on how dense your population was, but how crowded uh, the households were. Some areas in very remote locations of the country had much higher infection rates than the densest neighborhoods of New York or Chicago. So to Jim's point, we just yeah. uh, we knew very little. And as a result, we had to we had to go. We had to overkill. Yep, that that is true. And, and as we learn more and as we become more confident in what we know, 
given how much it's changed in terms of what we were being told a few months ago, you can understand why there might not be as much confidence. But I think there is a sense, Jim, that we're just going to open. We're going to open. We're never going to close again. That is simply out of the question at this point, the idea of closing down the economy again, regardless of what comes. And we'll take it. And those who are uh, at higher risk are not going to be full participants in this world until uh, there is a vaccine. But otherwise, we're going back. Yes. Again, not talked about Uh, in other areas of the country. The onus is on the people who, frankly, aren't uh, are at risk. And the other people are going out where we were was that uh, nobody could go out. And I think the fact that nobody go out was uh, uh, antithetical to the way it was. And certainly the way they did it in Madrid, certainly the way they did it in Milan. But they didn't do it. Uh, they're not doing it in the South. And I think that they're not going to do it in the West and other than California. But we wrecked the economy. And, and I think that we wrecked the economy because we just didn't know enough about the disease. We just found out. Look, the WHO just told us, you know what? Masks are good. I mean, uh, now, look, the science, they were looking at the science as it was, and it was wrong. But what they should have been looking at are things like Thor, which I have on tonight, THO. Thor yeah. is a recreational vehicle company. And what happened is, is that, you know what a cool way it is to go across the country in a recreation vehicle? Do you know you can't get a bike? Has anyone tried to buy a bike? There are no bikes. Yes. 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 I've tried to buy two bikes. And believe me, uh, it is. Try getting a boat these days, Jim. I mean, the supply squeeze is crazy. I'm Um, so glad I got my 18 foot. I can put some my 18 foot uh, Boston Whaler. Guys, uh, anybody wants it? Fifty thousand. Fifty thousand dollars. It's only 10 years old. Jim, you, you. I can't wait to hear Thor because their commentary so far has been not just about the quarter, but about how customers are buying RVs to use as their workspace and then travel and combine the two things. It's somebody on Twitter this morning called it the new commercial real estate. Oh, yeah. I mean, my daughter was trying to figure out how to make an Airstream into a way to be able to sell cupcakes. And I, I said, I'll back you in a second. I mean, that sounds like a great idea. People are uh, don't want to stay in hotels. Uh, they don't want to. They, they're afraid. There are people who don't even want to pump gas. But when you're in one of these Thor vehicles, I think that you're considered to be like in a tank. And no one can get you. And it's an incredible. By the way, the stock, the stock bottomed on March 23rd. Uh, so many stocks bottomed when people thought the world was going to an end. Uh, and let's not forget the airlines bottomed when Warren Buffett sold. That's like Stan Druckenmiller. How about the fact that the rich people really panicked and the people who were just at home stuck with it? You bet to point that out. And the Robinhood people, they bought throughout. Dave, that's Robin Hood, not in tights. That's actual Robin Hood. I understand. I understand. But uh, again, you're not a buyer of the airlines here, Jim. Well, I mean, the numbers are so bad. And I just look, I think that if I were again, if the Treasury Secretary, what a great opportunity to ka-ching, ka-ching. I mean, no one in these airlines, American Airlines, what did they do? They opened up the American Airlines clubs, which I can never get in because I don't have the credit card. Uh, and then they're, they're giving you people buyouts. OK, now, is that the sign of something that you really want to double down on when the stock was at 10 and Evercore said that the price uh, used the price target of one? I, I do think a lot of the airlines are doing well, but what they ought to be doing is issuing stock uh, to pay back some debt. The debt's horrible. Yeah. Hey, you want debt? Look at the cruise ships. Holy cow. There was an interview in the Telegraph this morning with Carnival. You know, the stock, look at the, they're not even, they're not, there's no cruises. And what a run the stock's had from $8. Look at that. 
There are no cruises. And, and they're burning $250 million a month. Well, I guess, you know, you got to better be lucky than good because those are rallies that are as crazy as, this, as the Simon Property Rally. I mean, the rallies are crazy. Yeah, I, now, it's going to turn out that Royal, I guess, well, goes to 100, and I'll look like as stupid as all the people who said it was never going to go past 20. But these, <laughs> these are good runs. Yeah. And now if they start, can you imagine yeah. if they start cruising? David, yeah, you, well, I told I don't know. you. Maybe the algorithm's. Maybe the algorithm is based on them starting cruising. Then you actually sell the stock. It's only until they start cruising that, that you be. don't. I don't know. David, February, yeah. Alaska, Norwegian, Haven. Come with me. Okay. Just a few couples. Sounds cold. Right at the top. No, Sounds no, it has a great solarium. Uh, we can watch the calving. Do you, know oh. what, do you even know what calving is? You yes, know, I do. Dear. It's when the iceberg calves off. Yeah, yeah, it does. The glacier. The ca- it calves off from the glacier. Yeah. Holy right? hell. David, yeah. that's so good. Yeah. That, make, you. that entitles you. you to one free trip to TJ Maxx. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention to climate change and to uh, the rising uh, levels. Climate oh change? Wow. Remember that? The oils are going crazy. Hey, BP, if they fire everybody, does it go to 50? Uh, yeah, maybe. guys, uh, that's maybe. the you know, up, up to 10,000 uh, is what reports say. And that's by the end of the year, uh, 15% of the workforce, Jim. I mean, Deutsch has got a chart out right now. 50% of U.S. households have experienced a loss of income because of COVID. Uh, so, you know, when does that start getting talked about? I mean, how much can cruise bookings go up if so many households are less are less well off than they were a year ago? I don't know, but I see the Nasdaq hitting a, um, an intraday high and I know that the uh, rich get richer in terms of Amazon and Apple. Uh, I think Apple is one they can't manipulate early on. You can watch the crawl starting at 5 o'clock, and you see what they're going to gun. I mean, whoever they is, I don't know. But you know, the airlines keep going. The cruise ships keep going. But the numbers aren't going up. Now, maybe uh, the, the people who are gunning these stocks are taking a year-long view. Uh, but it is hard to believe that. Uh, the Nasdaq is at a record high unless you genuinely believe that uh, that Apple's going to have a blowout and Amazon's going to have a blowout. Maybe they are. I mean, the Amazon price targets that were increased today are extraordinary. Uh, and, and, but also, like, the Coles's of the world, the Nordstrom's. It's almost as if everybody believes, listen, we're going shopping. I don't know what that interlude was. They wouldn't let us do things, yeah. but now we're allowed to do things. So what do we do? We're Americans. We shop. You know, we're not Americans. We go work in machine tool factories. Right. I mean. We also uh, we also order in uh, a yes. lot of food. And, guys, that takes me to uh, hitting a couple of M&A situations. Earlier, we discussed, of course, AstraZeneca and Gilead. There are no talks, uh, it would appear, going on between those two companies at this point. But we certainly know there have been a lot of talks between Uber and Grubhub about trying to get to uh, a transaction under, with, uh, under which Uber would buy Grubhub. All stock deal, of course, as you might imagine. Over the weekend, our colleagues at CNBC.com also reported that there is interest in Grubhub from two other companies, uh, Eat Takeaway and Delivery Hero. By the way, these are both European-based companies. They do not have listings here in the States. And just really very quickly, if you were to imagine a deal, of course, it would have to be an all stock deal again in the current environment. One cannot imagine a cash deal in any way in this industry. Uh, and so they would probably have to get listings here in the U.S. to actually make something like that effective. But it does not mean that there is an interest from those two companies in Grubhub. And I can tell you as well that people close to Grubhub continue to indicate to me that there is great interest there in being a part of consolidation in that industry. 
Uh, Again, the same thing. That is why they have been in these talks with Uber. Yeah. But, Jim, what I also continue to hear, and, you know, we've we've followed this pretty closely at this point, and it's not really about price anymore. We were talking a great deal about that, what Uber was willing to offer in terms of a ratio for its shares and what Grubhub wanted. But they have really gotten bogged down in the details of antitrust concessions. It would appear Grubhub is looking for language on regulatory, on how you treat your workers, on pricing uh, that that would in their opinion, ameliorate some of the concerns amongst the antitrust regulators, if you were to sign this deal and it were to get to them to be reviewed, uh, would uh, deal with some of those concerns. Uber, I'm told, has not been willing to give those concessions that Grubhub is looking for on antitrust, in addition to, of course, making Grubhub feel as though during what would probably be a lengthy review that its business would be okay, and that could also be in the, in the form of a, a, a significant break fee, uh, and the like, reverse break fee. Um, but they're not making a lot of progress there. Now, maybe, I don't know, maybe Uber feels like, hey, if I start giving, if we start giving in our pricing to city councils and the likes that want certain pricing caps, maybe our core business, they're going to start to come after on that front as well, Jim. But they're kind of at a, you know, we'll see. But they're sort of at, a, a, at odds there. As to the prospect of whether either one of these other European companies would actually be a true merger candidate, Unclear, again, given some of the impediments there, including the fact that neither has a listing in the U.S. Well, all of these companies are under assault. Uh, Yes, there are some large restaurants that are using Chipotle uses them. But uh, one of the things that's happened they have to be careful about uh, is that when you have restaurants, uh, when you have half the tables, we have to do something with the waiters. The reason why I mentioned the bicycles is the waiters, your own places are starting to do the delivery. You save a huge amount of money. These guys really take too much money. This is a common theme that is happening in many cities, which is the disintermediation of a Grubhub or an Uber Eats because you have spare uh, PPP talent that, you, that have to do something. That's what I would argue if I, if I were Matt Maloney. I would say, you know what, there's a whole new group of competitors and they are every restaurant. But, you know, I I like Matt very much. I know Matt wants to hold out. But this this trend is so electric and I'm so early on this thing. But believe me, because you can't get you can't get a bike. It's impossible to get a scooter. And that's restaurants buying things up in order to be able to deliver themselves in order to be able to make a profit rather than giving these these companies 30 percent. So they should they can combine. But there's a whole new force that is that is saying, you know what? We don't need these because we no. have so many people and we don't know what to do with them. Right. That's interesting. It's a new uh, theme. Now, by the way, keep in mind, the, uh, the, the potential synergies between Uber and Grubhub would be quite significant. Yes. You can take a lot of cost out there, as we know. Not so much these two European companies, uh, given they don't have uh, their businesses not really here. Um, so that's a, also a different uh, front. Guys, if I can quickly, just because M&A, let me also just come back quickly to Tiffany, which we've been following closely as well. Um, you know, again, I think it's safe to say that Bernard Arnault, the richest man in Europe who runs LVMH, uh, is very much focused on continuing to try to find grounds to extract some sort of a price cut from Tiffany for their deal. It's 135 bucks a share in cash if you're keeping track at home. So you can see it's still a fairly large uh, a fairly large spread. That said, uh, I continue to hear Tiffany's not going to give them any grounds for doing that. Um, you know, there will not be, they, they, uh, I'm hearing, any sort of attempt, uh, any ability for LVMH to seek those sort of wedges in the likes of a breach of covenants and the like 
that perhaps would give them the right to pursue uh, or at least give them the confidence to try to pursue some sort of a, a, a price cut. But we'll be watching it closely. We'll be watching closely tomorrow as well when Tiffany reports earnings, guys. So that's just the latest there. Arnaud, though, Jim, is uh, he's a tough customer. He's going to stay focused. Oh, yeah, this is I think this is an exciting deal because uh, if Tiffany comes back, I mean, what an opportunity right now uh, to do something. I, I, I can't, David, I need to know about the Simon Properties deal. Will you help me here? Help me. They, they, they don't have the contract is airtight from everything I hear. And well, so Simon you know, go from 50 the to idea 90. that he's going to be able to get out of it is. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, now it does. It is both cash and stock. So at least you got that there. That's helping as well. But, Jim, you know, they're on the clock there now. Um, they've gotten the antitrust. I, I don't know what to tell you. Everybody who's gone over that contract says it's incredibly tight. As much as David Simon, of course, regrets or wishes. Oh, why and LVMH not tight, weeks? right? Uh, no, it's a tight contract as well. There might All be right. a little more wiggle room. It's, wow. it's, it's pretty tight also. Yeah. Great stories. Dave. I mean, but these are all being tested and that's the key. Great story. You know, and they, you know, Carl. Yeah. No, it says a lot about the, the moment we're in right now, David. Thanks for that. Uh, Boeing's up 11 percent. Uh, and we got, as Jim said, NASDAQ all time high. Let's get to Bob Bassani. You know, uh, this is a remarkable rally. And we've seen the same thing, Carl, that's happened the last week and a half. And that is underperforming groups outperforming today. So energy stocks are up. Bank stocks are up. And once again, mega caps, which really led the rally, frankly, are underperforming. But I don't want to kid anybody. If you look at what's really going on, I tend to look at the market from where it was from the 52-week highs in February. And if you look there, you can see that this is still largely a mega cap driven rally here. So if you look here, Apple's essentially at a new high. Let's not quibble about a few points. Amazon, 1% away. Microsoft, 1%. Facebook, 4%. Alphabet, 6%. Remember, the S&P is 5%. Uh, from a 52-week high. That was on uh, February 19th, of course. And of course, you can see the effect this has had on the other sector leaders. Obviously, technology and consumer discretionary, where you get the bulk of those mega cap names, technology is essentially at a new high. Consumer discretionary is essentially at a new high. And healthcare, which is the other market leader, uh, is, is also only about 1% off of the 52-week high. So I understand that we've seen unusual sectors that have been laggards do well recently, but let's not kid ourselves. Yes, we've seen banks and energy rally, but... <laughs> Energy is still 30% off its 52-week high. Banks are still 24% off. Even with the big rally that we've given, that has gotten so much attention in the last week and a half as we've shifted into these groups, industrials are still 12%. Transports, which were part of industrials, 14% off. And the Russell, uh, which we talked last week, had a terrific rally last week, is still notably lagging uh, the S&P 500. So much attention is now focused on these underperforming sectors. There was a lot of debate back and forth over the weekend, a lot of no flying around over the weekend. Uh, Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley is now changing. He's overweighting industrials and materials, those cyclical names. He's very big in them. And he's underweighting consumer staples and utilities. Uh, Civita Subramanian, who's over at the Bank of America, Merrill, Merrill Lynch, was talking about value stocks over the weekend. Those are mostly banks and energy stocks. So they can differ in where they're going. But basically, they're looking at the underperforming sectors and seeing if there's anything left in them. What's next? I, I think it, Jim had a great question. Where's the earnings? <laughs> That's what we need. Let's just remind everyone what does drive the stock market here. It's earnings. Are they growing or are they not growing? And right now they're not growing. They're going down. The estimates are still going down. How 
about dividends? That's the other thing that drives the markets. Are they growing or not? They're not growing. There are certain sectors that are cutting their dividends. How about the market multiple? Is it expanding or not? Well, here's the only thing in our triumvirate that's actually been expanding. This thing is way over 20 right now, and that's in historically overbought territory here. Carl, I want to remind everyone, 40% of the S&P 500 has withdrawn earnings guidance for the year. So Jim is right. What we need to have happen sometime in the next month, sometime in July, is some of these people, some of these CEOs who've withdrawn guidance come forward and say, hey, you know, I withdrew our guidance for the full year in April. Well, now it's the 4th of July. Now we have a better idea of what's going on. Here's our commentary. Here's our guidance. That's the next step. Jim's absolutely right. We need to see some expansion in earnings expectations and earnings guidance. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, let's hope we get it. Uh, Bob Pisani, take a quick break here. S&P 3200 is basically 9% above where strategists on average expect the index to end 2020. We're back in a minute. Look at stocks like Boeing this morning. It's clear that investors think that airline travel is about to break out. Our Phil Lebeau has more on that today. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Carl. Take a look at the numbers we just received from the TSA in terms of passenger levels this weekend. It's a little hard to tell, but there is that uptick at the end. This is the first time this weekend we saw two days over 400,000, including yesterday when it hit 441,225 passengers screened by the TSA. Keep in mind, that's still down 83.5% compared to the same day last year. As you look at the airline index, and we're comparing this to the S&P 500 over the last month, no comparison at all. Airline stocks up 79% in the last month. Bank of America out with a note today regarding Alaska Airlines, upgrading it to a buy. B of A said, look, you got to favor the airlines that have the lower debt levels. They like Alaska in this situation. You guys, the early trade for the airline stocks today, they're off to the races again, up anywhere between Four, five, six percent, some as much as seven percent is how high they're trading. And finally, do not forget that this afternoon, three o'clock, closing bell, you don't want to miss the exclusive interview with Robin Hayes, CEO of JetBlue. We'll talk to him about what's happening with passenger levels this weekend and how much it's grown. Guys, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks. Uh, Yeah, Boeing adding more than 100 points to the Dow uh, as we speak. Quick break here and Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. Eight S&P sectors are higher at the moment, but none more so than energy. Take a look at some of these names as the Saudis boost export prices. Shale companies reportedly uh, turn back on the spigot amid a resumption in demand. We're back in just a moment. All right, guys, uh, as we uh, wrap up at least this hour, real quick clarification from me on on Simon. When we were talking, Jim, I mentioned a stock component. Sometimes I get a little Confused. There are some deals out there. This is an all-cash deal, as we well know. Fifty-two fifty, of course, is what uh, Simon has agreed to pay for Taubman. Uh, as for M and A overall, uh, Carl, you asked me about this on Friday as well. You know, I am hearing a lot more, at least, about conversations starting to take place and things starting to at least bubble up. You w- would imagine that, given the performance of the equity markets, is instilling confidence in management teams. Overall, but another theme, Jim, that comes up a lot is the election and what that will mean for a changing face of antitrust regulatory and whether or not if you are thinking about a deal, you want to try to get something done. If, in fact, you think there is going to be a change administration prior to uh, inauguration doesn't mean it will happen, even if there is a Biden administration, that it will be particularly stringent. But there is a general view that that would be the case. Wow. Great call. Great call. All right. Tonight, I've got four stocks already up eight. It's just screaming, Carl. 
And then I've got Sorrento, which is another one of the vaccine companies. Please be careful. Please be careful. Small cap. Small cap. Not Bob. Bob Martin is a leader. I love that company. Thor is back. Remember, it's Airstream, but also all the others. And David, you and I are going to cross the country uh, to take a cruise ship to Alaska. Okay. All right, I'm in. I'm going to do it. I'm ready. We're going to go calving. You guys, you guys are anywhere. You guys are busy I will go anywhere. <laughs> You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.